Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. My name is Amy McNeil. I lost my brother Samuel to a heroin overdose on October 23, 2015. He was 28. As a family, we thought we were prepared to help Sam fight addiction, but we were painfully mistaken. My family founded Cover 2 Resources in memory of Sam. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. The Cover 2 Resources podcast is an ongoing series in which we interview experts in the fight against opioid addiction. It is made possible through donations and sponsorships from concerned individuals or organizations. If you want to help in the fight against opioid addiction, please consider donating or sponsoring the Cover 2 podcast. Go to cover2.org for more information. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources, and I'm here today with Kevin Lorson. Kevin is the professor and program director of health and physical education program at Wright State University. He's currently also the president of the Ohio Association for Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance. So, Kevin, welcome. Thank you. So, your organization consists of over 3,000 health education, and physical activity uh, professionals. And Kevin, you're leading a, the development of an opioid abuse prevention education curriculum for Ohio schools. So let's go back and start at the beginning. I understand that Ohio is the only state without health education standards. Unfortunately, we are the only state uh, without health education standards. It's uh, probably a point of frustration for many of us uh, in our organization. And And also, it's surprising to many folks throughout the state that we're the only um, state that does not have health education standards. We're also the only content area within the state of Ohio that does not have health education, or that does not have standards. So um, every other content like math, English language arts, they have standards, but um, health education is the only one without. So tell us a little bit about the effort that you and your group have undertaken to uh, create this educational curriculum for Ohio schools. Well, this started back in March, and it actually happened from uh, a trip to Columbus to do some advocacy for the health education standards, um, because we were seeing, um, obviously, the requirements from House Bill 367 that required schools to teach about opiate abuse uh, prevention education. Um, That came out, and some schools were having questions. They were asking us, and we were trying to best meet our needs of our members, and um, we went and advocated at the state level and made them aware of the situation of you know, without standards and we feel like schools aren't really supported for being able to implement this law, that turned into the, well, it sounds like a problem, but how about you help solve it? Um, so it's, it's one of those things where you, uh, if you go complain, you may get uh, given the responsibility to do some things, which we're happy to do, um, but it was, uh, it was an opportunity uh, that was presented to us to kind of fill that gap, that um, health education really didn't have much guidance. Um, There were recommendations from the um, Opiate Action Team from the Governor's Council um, on ODE, but there really wasn't anything that teachers could plug in and play. There wasn't a curriculum that teachers could um, take lessons, plug them in and go. There really wasn't much that was created for teachers by teachers. Um, It was really just recommendations. So um, we were given the task from the Ohio Department of Higher Education to, uh, via a grant, 
um, to develop this curriculum over the next and, and kind of research this curriculum over the next three years. Outstanding. So when do you expect that uh, the first taste will be available of this? Well, right now we have the middle school and high school lessons finished in terms of our first draft, and those are available to um, health education teachers that express an interest in the curriculum. So there are our kind of first group of reviewers, and we're trying it out with those folks. Um, we're working on the K-5 piece right now. I expect that to be done within the next two to three weeks um, for those lessons to be done. And so right now those lessons are kind of packaged on a uh, closed website or an invitation-only website where we can kind of control who sees it um, and, and who's reviewing it. We expect from the feedback from that group to then edit over the summer, and then in August will probably be the first time that we link the lessons specifically on Start Talking. Um, at the end of the day, while we're a separate uh, project and a separate grant from Start Talking, we see Start Talking as kind of the place um, as the clearinghouse of all the information that can help schools um, with drug abuse prevention education, so we feel like um, we'll have a nice home there and start talking when we're finished. So my hope is to have those lesson plans up before the school year starts in August or right around when the school year starts in August. Outstanding. So now let's go to the next level. Can you tell us a little bit more about what those lesson plans would include? Um, really what our focus are uh, might be across the board for all of these um, lessons, whether we're looking at, at, at K-12, through and we do provide lessons K through 12, because that's the recommendation for House Bill 367 and also from the uh, Joint Study Committee from the Attorney General. Uh, but really what we're looking at is we're working with three big areas, which is kind of the functional knowledge piece, kind of the who, what, and why um, of medicines or drugs, depending on what developmental level we're looking at. But our key piece that we're getting from this is the decision-making and the refusal skills or the communication skills to be drug-free. Um, we really put a lot of stock and effort into um, developing those areas um, in teachers. Primarily, really, the focus is that decision-making and communication skills, which is a little bit different from some of the things that have been done in the past. Um, some other curriculums have kind of had a science focus or an understanding of what drugs might do to your body. Um, we've flipped it the other way and, and said, really, it's about making that decision to be drug-free and then equipping kids with the knowledge um, to be able to make those choices, and then also giving them the skill to avoid or remove themselves from a situation that might be um, unsafe or it might be a, a, an unhealthy situation for them. So that's what we're trying to do um, within the curriculum in terms of big picture. Um, I can break it down for you within each grade band in terms of what a lesson might look like, um, but that's our overall focus. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I would like to go into each of the grade bands and talk okay. a little bit more in depth on the program and what people can expect. So let's start in the grade school and build it from there. All right. Let's go to K-2. Um, in kindergarten through second grade, it's a little bit different. Folks get really nervous right off the bat and say, well, you're going to talk about drugs to our, our kindergartners, first and second graders, and really we're not necessarily... Um, it's not really a drug unit, and you wouldn't recognize it as that, but um, really the main emphasis here is about identifying rules about medicines um, and taking medicines at home or at school. Um, we follow up with that, that we talk about um, trusted adults. So if a child needs to take medicine or if they're feeling um, sick, where do they go, um, and where would they go to find a trusted adult? That might be a parent, that might be the school nurse, that might be a teacher. Um, so we work on those pieces, and then we also get them to um, choose a healthy option in terms of making a decision to be drug-free. So this might include recognizing things like medicines versus candy, substances that we don't know about, even 
it almost might look a little bit like poison control piece. Can you recognize what these are? And most of the time they can't recognize the difference between the two. And so if you can't, if you don't know what it is, where do you go? And our rule is, is that we always find that trusted adult. So we, we really work on that piece in K2. Um, and then we have kind of a, those are three lessons, by the way, in, in K2 um, in our package. And we expect those lessons to last anywhere between 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and it'll be a classroom teacher implementing these lessons, not a separate health education teacher or um, say like a prevention specialist that would come into the classroom. We really think our classroom teachers um, are the ones to deliver this and we think they're capable of delivering this and they would, they would like to deliver it because it's some of the day-to-day -day stuff that you would work on anyways in terms of making safe and healthy choices um, in their life. So that would be K2. Okay, um, so that's a grand total of an hour and a half of instruction. Okay. So, and studies have revealed that this is enough, enough time, enough of an impact well, for it to carry for forward? Us, you know, the time piece is always tricky. Um, and it's probably um, our biggest challenge with this curriculum is that you have to understand that the way schools work, while this is a priority for many of us, schools are, the bills get paid by something else um, or by student learning in other areas. And not to diminish what we're doing or to um, any sort of way create this idea that, that one content area is more important than another, but know that schools um, have to perform well in English language arts, math, science. Um, and so our goal is to try to make sure that this is as efficient as possible. So yeah, 90 minutes, um, we don't expect to get a whole lot more, but we feel like this could be a door opener to doing more in the future. Okay. Um, so our next grade. Our next, grade uh, next grade band, we, mm -hmm. we kind of group these together in grade bands. So K2 is a grade band, 3-5, and then 6-8, which is middle school, and then high school would be another grade band. 3-5 uh, builds a lot on what we're doing in K2. So you'll see in the flow of the lessons that it's really about establishing the who, what, and why piece. So that would be, again, your rules um, about medicines, what are medicines. Um, in fifth grade, we start to add in what are drugs, per se. Um, we also have to talk about consequences. So what might be the consequences of using medicines or using drugs and the impact on your brain or on your body. Um, so we get a little bit of that, but it's always done within the context of making a decision. So um, we introduce uh, basic steps in making a decision, so stopping, thinking, consequences, and then doing. Um, and then we'll, we'll try to get in at the end to evaluate that decision just a little bit. Was it a good or bad choice? Um, and then we also try to build up um, within our students in, in the last lesson, in the third lesson, to try to build up the refusal skills or communication skills to say, um, I feel uncomfortable or using I messages um, in that third lesson, developing that ability to communicate, and then also developing the ability, even in our third graders, how to go ask for help. Um, so it, it reinforces those trusted adults, but also how to go to a trusted adult and ask for help. Um, so for example, this might be a scenario that we're out on the playground and um, my daughter has a friend who I happen to grab some medicine from home and, you know, my daughter says, oh, I have a headache. And then that child says, well, I've got medicine from home. Here, take this. What we're trying to do is build up that decision-making and also the refusal skills to say, I don't think that's a good idea, and then also equip that kid to say, okay, who's your trusted adult at school? I should probably go to the teacher and say, um, not necessarily to tattle, but to say, you know, somebody tried to give me medicine at school and I just wanted to make you aware of it. So, we're working on those pieces. Um, we also have kind of a booster lesson or an enhancement, um, which is kind of our advocacy lessons where kids advocate for making healthy choices or drug-free choices, um, where they might write a sentence or a paragraph 
Um, in 3.5, they kind of write uh, informative or persuasive. Persuasive just means they're taking an opinion piece, um, and so they would write a stance to say, I'm going to be drug-free, and here are the three reasons why. Um, and they present some supporting facts to that. So, um, so that's kind of the quick overview of 3.5. Um, a lot about decision-making, again, and refusal skills. And you'll see those same things pop up when we talk middle school and high school here in a minute. Okay. And let's do that. Let's move along um, to the next band. Middle school, and again, in middle school, this changes a little bit because in middle school, the teacher delivering this will probably be a health educator within their health education class. The K through 5 is probably going to be implemented by a, a K-5 classroom teacher. Um, so now we have a health educator delivering this. Um, and really, again, it's proper use versus misuse, um, influences on uh, drug use, influences on decisions. So we get back to the trusted adults, but also the idea of a trusted friend um, and how those friends can impact positive or negative choices. Um, going back to refusal skills, those iMessages, communication skills, we work on verbal and nonverbal skills. Um, also avoidance strategies in here, just a little bit in middle school, not as much as we do in high school. And then um, obviously we, we incorporate a more complex decision-making process because they can think more about the consequences rather than just in the immediate environment um, that we would do in K-5. Um, and then also we do a, an enhancement lesson too also from an advocacy piece that um, at the end of the lesson or it might fit in with, with a packet of lessons where they write a letter to a fifth grader encouraging them to make drug-free choices when they get to middle school. So it would be kind of similar to our fifth grade where they're writing a persuasive paragraph, but this is a friendly letter to say, I want you to be drug-free and here's why um, you should be, and then also providing them alternatives. So um, a neat little paragraph there that, um, or a neat little letter to a friend that can uh, reinforce their beliefs and then also help um, that fifth grader realize that um, in this school we make choices to be drug-free. So... That would be middle school. And at this point, many of them will have already seen people their age that have made the wrong choices. I would agree with that. We're also trying to reinforce to them that the normative behavior, that meaning that most kids are not using, that there may be someone that is, but at the same time, most people are not. Um, we don't want them to feel like it is normal to be a user at that point, um, that we find most middle school and high school kids are not using. So we want to use that that power of positive peer pressure um, and, and reinforce to them that they are making the right choice and, and their friends are making the right choice even though it might not seem like that. Um, so we're trying to, to shape some, some behavior there in terms of showing group norms um, about it also. But yes, we, we would be naive to think that there wouldn't be situations that would come up where, where kids are going to have to utilize these decision-making skills and refusal skills. So, and also on top of that, it's recognition of that. Now they're exposed to right. it. So some of the questions and some of your education, I'm sure, um, is along those lines, what to do when you encounter that. Right. And, and so we put them in situations and we put them in scenarios to see them react um, and to see them demonstrate these refusal skills. It's very difficult to um, put, your, put yourself in the shoes of a 12-year-old that you have friends and they want you to do something. How do I do that and still keep my friends and still keep, you know, um, I don't know if dignity is the right word, but, but to keep my standing within my group of friends, and maybe they're not supposed to be your best friends at the end of the day, but um, how do you protect yourself um, in a healthy way, but also from a social way that, that you want to make sure that you know how to avoid the situation and make good choices? And I, I, we haven't really done that a lot in the past in health education, so I'm, I'm happy that we're going down this road. Okay. Now let's get to the next band. 
Um, high school. High school is, again, implemented by a health education teacher. And instead of three lessons in each grade, um, what we provide is 10 lessons. Because in high school, um, most students are only going to get one semester of health education. I don't know. We didn't talk about this with the standards piece. But in Ohio, students are only required to get 60 hours of health education in high school. So for one half credit, they get 60 hours. In all the other grades, they're supposed to get health education, but there's no time requirement. So with this, it's a little bit tricky in the high school P10 lessons, but most health education programs do not just teach opioids separate from alcohol and other drugs. So we've kind of, we've got this tricky dynamic in terms of we presented 10 lessons, but we know many of our teachers won't do 10 lessons on just opioids. They'll interact with or, or integrate also concepts around alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs. And so we feel like this is a template to teach anything within alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs, or you might enhance it um, and build on these 10 lessons. So at the end of the day, we don't think it's a script of 10 lessons for folks to follow, but we see how we can always, no matter what, you could have 10 days of opioids if you needed it. Uh, but we also recognize that other aspects of alcohol, tobacco, and other drugs will be integrated. So 10 lessons um, ranging from the impact of drug use, the levels and consequences, proper use, misuse, kind of what we did with the middle school level. Um, we do have a specific lesson on the opioid epidemic um, and the impact of that on individuals, families, and communities. Um, we look overall at the, the social, psychological, environmental, biological pieces um, that influence drug use. And then um, eventually when we get to the, the last five lessons, we've got things like avoiding riding in a car with somebody under the influence. We've got our decision-making piece, which actually is part of the avoiding riding in the car with someone, uh, refusal skills and avoidance skills, um, how to get help. Um, that might not be just help for you as the individual, but how do you get help for family members um, or someone that you might know um, that might need help. So this is where we connect in our community and school resources. Um, we also talk about identifying the signs of drug use. Um, and how to get help. Um, I think that's a very real scenario for our students to, to know a friend or a family member that might need help, and how do we go about it? Um, and then the last lesson, again, would be advocating to be drug-free, and that's where they're going to create their own uh, drug-free messages to promote and persuade being uh, drug-free with their friends and others. So um, that would be the 10th lesson in there. So, um, again, we expect teachers to be... Um, kind of excited or be provided ideas. We don't expect this to be a lockstep program where you have to follow lesson one through 12. We hope that they're inspired by the lessons and then they mold and shape them into what they, they need within their um, own health education curriculum. Okay. And you say it's going to be out in August. That's the hope. It's, it's a pretty challenging task to, to you know be assigned a, a project in September and try to produce something by June. So sure. um, we're getting there as fast as we can. Okay. So how would schools and organizations that are interested in getting a pre-release, getting a view of this beforehand, how would they get access to it? Um, if there's primarily for health education teachers right now, um, they can always reach me at the email address for the curriculum, which is the HOPE, H-O-P-E, curriculum, all one word, um, at right.edu. Um, and that will give me uh, an email, and then I will send them back instructions on how to register. Uh, for the website that can then give them access to the lessons. Um, and then there's an expectation if you get to download the lessons that obviously you're going to complete some feedback forms and, and a survey or two um, to give us some information about it. Um, we also have plans to do lots of professional development throughout the state. Um, 
Some of that is kicking off this spring. Um, we have some partner schools that are going to kind of be um, piloting the curriculum, and we're going to get to do some research with them to see the impact on their teachers and their students. And uh, we'll be kicking those off uh, here in the spring. We'll be doing some sessions specifically for health education teachers um, and then also for school administrators. We'll be working through the ESCs or um, some lead local districts that want to take charge um, and, and host the session. So we'll be doing that throughout the spring. Um, August, we'll get right back to it, and uh, throughout the state, we'll be doing some more things throughout uh, the school year 2017-2018. Uh, we'll also do some trainings online. Um, we expect some online modules, some resources, some videos um, that will help teachers be ready to go. We've got to find different ways to reach them, um, so ranging from face-to-face -to, -face to online to self-instructional modules or, or just some materials. At the end of the day, we've got to provide some pretty good materials that teachers can pick up and go because they don't have hours on end to read um, many, many things. So um, we've got to be effective and efficient in what we provide them. So do you already have the schools selected that you're going to partner with this spring, or are you still looking for some more schools for that? Um, we have kind of, we have our first batch right now, but we will probably have another batch of partner schools um, in the fall that we will work with. And really, those we're not holding the curriculum back from anyone. If you're interested and you're ready to go and you want to try it out, um, we'll be more than happy to give you the curriculum and try our best to schedule a professional development session in your area. Um, really, the partner piece is more of a research piece um, that we have access, you know, kind of an agreement where we're going to uh, research your teachers in your schools. So anybody can try it out, and I think of those as kind of like my pilot folks, but the partner piece is where we're really getting in there and getting to know your students um, and your teachers a little bit and how the impact how the curriculum is impacting them. Got it. Okay. So, Kevin, how is this program going to be measured? Um, well, a couple of things that, and when we originally conceptualized the project, um, we were really focused on student outcomes, meaning that was the curriculum effective in producing the student outcomes that we want? So are students better at making decisions and refusal skills? And we're still going to measure that. Um, but after thinking about it and actually capturing what the state is kind of up against, We've kind of flipped the script a little bit, and our initial focus is about building capacity. Um, and can we build a capacity of teachers that are able to teach opioid abuse prevention? Um, because right now, I don't know as if we're equipped. Um, you know, if we look at just my health education teachers throughout the state, um, many of them have not received professional development in health education in any topic, let alone opioids. So we are behind schedule. And so one of the things that I... I the effectiveness of this curriculum will be the ability to build capacity within schools to teach this. Um, is health education and is health education curriculum um, ready to deliver this? I think we're not as ready as we should be. So that's where we're going to look first to see if we've met our outcomes to really see if we can promote some teacher change and get teachers to implement this. Um, I think over time, a secondary outcome will make sure that these lessons are effective. If we say we're going to develop decision-making skills. We're going to assess that um, and research that piece. I think that those outcomes will come a couple years down the road. Okay. Are there any other programs out there that you can cite that have been particularly effective in your mind in fighting the well, opioid epidemic? There are a number of, and I would go to the um, Ohio Joint Study Commission on Drug Abuse Prevention Education. Um, the Attorney General's Office and Amy O'Grady did a great job of identifying those um, programs that are that have been labeled as effective or evidence-based um, and so we see folks using uh, life skills, life skills, we've seen some 
um, other curriculums that would be on that list. So I would always I would send them back to that list of evidence-based programs. I will say that there's a difference between our evidence-based programs and what we're trying to do um, with the HOPE curriculum. The HOPE curriculum is really to embed itself within existing health education curriculum, whereas some of these evidence-based programs are kind of separate programs that might be brought in from somebody else, or they might be they might work within health education, but they're technically a separate program. So we're a little bit different from those, so it might be an apples to oranges comparison, um, but it's um, but there's an entire list there in terms of evidence-based programs. I will also say that schools are thinking critically not just about the content of drug abuse prevention or opioid abuse prevention, but they're also looking at social-emotional learning um, because we know that there are risk factors associated with uh, social-emotional development, that if we can't um, develop those social-emotional skills, those become big risk factors later on down the road. Um, so I think schools are attacking it two different ways. I think we're getting the content from the health piece and the decision-making piece that's over there um, in the health side of things, but also the social and emotional piece that schools are dealing with also. So you've got your, your PACS, good behavior game piece that's fitting in there, um, and some of your other social emotional um, activities or, or curriculum, sorry. Very good. This has been very informative, Kevin. Um, what final thoughts would you have for our listeners about the program? Um, well, I don't know if our curriculum is, is the, the magic bullet to solve everything. I, I think at the end of the day, schools are cognizant of the problem. They, they are aware of it, and they are dealing with the consequences every day. And so I, 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 feel, I feel for schools. I think schools and school administrators and teachers are doing everything they possibly can to help families and to help students. Um, we're there. We're trying. What is trying to happen at the same time is we're trying to get ourselves organized for how best to go at this. I feel like right now that, that we're trying um, as hard as we can to get to the goal line, but we really don't have a, a couple of plays in the playbook that we know that work really effectively. And each school is a little bit different, too, in what they're facing. So this is not an easy-to-solve problem. It's not a, a health education curriculum problem. It's not a school problem. It, it is so complex and it involves so many different players that um, we need to keep our energy and enthusiasm up in terms of as hard as we're working now, we'll have to keep working that hard. But we'll have to be strategic and we'll have to use our partners to get this done at the end of the day. So I think some of the folks that are working on this topic are realizing the need to make sure that we have these tools available, but then also educate folks about which tools might best fit them and their school. Um, so I, I guess the take-home message is your, school is your schools are trying as hard as they can, but they are really trying to figure out what to do and then what is best for our students at the end of the day or their students at the end of the day. So continue to support your schools, encourage them, support them, um, because it takes a lot of resources and time and energy to um, prevent and then also um, respond to the epidemic. And so I, I applaud schools for doing what they're doing, and we'll do our best to help them down the road. Very good. And once again, for those schools that would like to partner with you, how do they get in touch with you, Kevin? Uh, it would be the HOPE curriculum, H-O-P-E, uh, curriculum, all one word, at right, W-R-I-G-H-T dot E-D-U. Very good. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. We've been visiting today with Kevin Lorson. Kevin is the professor and program director of health and physical education at Wright State University, and he's also currently the president of the Ohio Association for Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance. My name is Greg McNeil, founder of Cover 2 Resources. 
Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. With your support, the Cover 2 team can continue to research and broadcast these resources to others in need. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.